Hello, and welcome to Fangraphs Audio, episode 906. On today's program, we're going to talk to a former Major League closer about their time in the big leagues, but first, we must be excited about the Padres. Resident San Diego fan on staff Jason Martinez joins Ben Clemens to go over the team that won't stop adding. The same club that had to use reliever Craig Stammen as a starter in the playoffs last year now has a rotation overflowing with arms. Jason and Ben discuss concepts like taking half measures in team construction, how A.J. Preller has approached this in his tenure, and the idea of having too much depth. They make it all work out. And so do they need Hassan Kim? I mean, he's a young guy, so you don't really have to think about it too much. But, you know, they can make that signing and go, you already got a second baseman, a shortstop, a third baseman. Where does this, this guy even fit? It doesn't matter. He's, yes. he's, he's good. We're going to make it work out. Following that, David Lorla is joined by retired Indians closer Chris Perez. Chris discusses being a student of the game and the eventful path of his career, from being traded to being an all-star to being suspended. He is also candid about things like quote-unquote funny cigarettes, being the first major leaguer to get in trouble for social media, and throwing at opposing batters. I can honestly say I never, never threw at anybody in my whole career. I got, I got kind of, you know, protected being the closer. Not many closers are told to go hit somebody and start a rally, you know, in a close game. You know, I, I did have my fair share of hit by pitches, but none of them were on purpose. Fangraphs Audio is brought to you by our listeners and supporters. If you'd like to help us out, consider an ad-free membership. Good for blazing fast load times across our multitude of offerings over at Fangraphs.com. You can also help by simply sharing the podcast with someone who you think may enjoy it. Thank you for your support. Enjoy the show. Hey, I'm Ben Clemens. I'm joined by Jason Martinez. And Jason, your Padres look awesome. Yes, they do. They they have. They have looked awesome, for those of you that were paying attention in, in the shortened season. This is not a surprise. If you've been paying attention to their general manager, A.J. Preller, for, you know, pretty much from the time he came in, you sense some excitement and you sense some ability to just do some things that were a little bit out of the ordinary and, just, you know, kind of a, a big surprise to Padres fans. And then, you know, we had a little bit of a, of a, of a wait and see after it didn't work out when, you know, once, once he acquired Matt Kemp and Justin Upton and Kimbrell and all those guys, he went for it. And then it didn't work out, and you said, "Okay, now I'm gonna now I'm gonna do my rebuild." Uh, it took a couple years, and it, you can see it all coming together. Yeah, but yeah, this is fun. I have it's to say, funny too, because if you tuned in to baseball for the playoffs last year, what you probably know about the Padres is they have two really good hitters and zero starting pitchers because they were. I think Craig Stammen started a game for them in the playoffs. That's not good. Craig Stammen's a reliever, and since then they've acquired. I don't know, every starting pitcher that exists, basically. Yeah, I, I think that was, you know, not that they needed a, a wake-up call. Everybody already knows, every GM knows, and you hear it all the time. You can never have enough pitching. And, you know, as exciting as the Padres were last year, you know, even, you know, before the trade deadline, it was like, dude, these guys are good. That that yeah. rotation is good. You got you got Lamette, you got, you know, you got Paddock and, you know, even Paddock was struggling, but you still were like, okay, I, I, I trust Chris Paddock here. And, you know, maybe eventually we'll bring up Mackenzie Gore and, you know, Zach Davies was pitching well. So you weren't really 
and I think this is kind of kind of normalize it as a baseball fan, as a Padre fan. Like you know, if your team is never really aggressive, they're never really not willing to add a, a lot to the payroll. That's always kind of in your mind. Like I don't expect them to trade for this guy or go sign this guy. Yeah, and there are plenty of good teams who punt some part of their team a little bit. You know, the Nationals won a World Series with no bullpen and only three starters. Teams don't need to be amazing in every facet. And if you looked at the Padres hitters, you could tell yourself, oh, these guys are good enough that if we just have an acceptable rotation, the team's going to be great. Right. And, you know, I, th- I think you know, it wasn't a big surprise when they went and got out and got Clevenger. But yeah, it was it was like, okay, we're really going for it. And then once you get to the postseason, it's like, you know, Clevenger and Lamette, they're going to lead us. That's why we have a chance. And then those two guys are hurt. It's like, oh, here we, here we go again. And I think what A.J. Preller is continues to prove is that it, it's never it's never enough. And I think, you know, like I said, you normalize it as a Padres fan and you go, oh, wow, we're oh, wow, this is better than we've ever been. I guess this is it. And then you make this big trade, you trade away a bunch of good prospects and you go, wow, that oh, that <laughs> we're probably done trading now, I guess. Look at our team now. It's pretty good. But I think you now. You can see what they're doing now compared to a team like the Dodgers who've had so much success for, for years. And especially like in the offseason, the Dodgers signing a bunch of guys and you go, where does that guy even fit? They yeah. already got five starting pitchers. Why do you need seven starting pitchers? And you just you just see it. They could struggle for a little bit, but they just continue through 162 games. They just have more talent than, than everybody and, and they make it all work out. And so do they need Ha-Sung Kim? I mean, he's a young guy, so you don't really have to think about it too much. But, you know, they can make that signing and go, you already got a second baseman, a shortstop, a third baseman. Where does this, this guy even fit? It doesn't matter. He's, yeah. he's, he's good. We're going to make it work out. You leave it up to the manager to, to figure it all out. And I don't think they, they have that, that attitude anymore, where, or especially as, as a fan where you're thinking like, yeah, they're not going to do that. And I think at this point, they're just like, we're just stockpiling talent. And that's what they did with their farm system as well just stockpile talent and now you know ever since the 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 austin nola trade the mike clevenger trades it was like man they gave away a lot of good prospects at least they didn't give away their best prospects okay but their farm system took a hit it's like wow we're not as deep as we were and then you get to this offseason and they keep doing it and every time they do it it's like oh okay that's probably it they you know we don't want to trade gore we don't want to trade you know our best guys but they they keep doing it and they've held on for the most part, you know, aside from Luis Patino, they've held on to their best prospects and they just continue. It's like a bottomless pit of like, you know, not elite talent, the prospect level, but like good prospects that other teams want and would be more valuable on another team because there's just so much of it. It's interesting too. They're treating the major leagues like they're treating their prospect system in a way where they just, like they've acquired I think you can say four pitchers since, I don't know, the day before the trade deadline that are better than anyone who was on the team before. Depending on what you think of Musgrove versus Lamette, that one's pretty close, I think. I, I have them about the same. But they, like you said, like they just didn't stop doing it. And I actually think that's correct and that teams don't go far enough in this kind of mindset. If you want to spend from the future to get better now, it's weird to go halfway. And I think that AJ Preller is doing a really good job of understanding that, you know, my 11th prospect. I just don't care that much. Like he's going to be a guy that I lose in an unfavorable trade because of a 40 man crunch in a year. So like, let's just go get Joe Musgrove. I think that's a a really admirable thing that they're just thinking about it in the, like the macro sense, if you will, 
really well. If you want to go for it, don't do half measures. Yeah. And I think that's the most frustrating thing for a sports fan, half measures. And I think if, if you look back to the Cubs rebuild, the Astros rebuild, it was, you know, it's, oh, it's perfect, you know, in the way that they actually won, they won the World Series. But it was pretty much what you would expect. You, you know, you strip it all down, you start, you start adding little by little, and then, then you sign your, you know, one of your, one of your main guys to a long-term extension. Then maybe two years before you think you're ready to, to contend, you bring in a big free agent, like, you know, like the John Lester. It, and I think as the fans were probably starting to go, Oh, it's been a long time. When is this all going to happen? I think for both of those teams, it, it came together at the right time where the fans didn't go, ah, oh, you suck. When are we going to be good again? Right. And so the Padres, you know, doing the same thing, it's worked out perfectly. And so I think you get this far and then it's like, oh man, Clevenger got hurt. Lamette might be hurt. And I think from, from Preller's standpoint and that front office and the ownership as well, they're like, let's not stop. We came this far and let's not take a step backward. We're, we're here. We got obviously one of the best farm systems in baseball. You got so much big league talent. And yeah, I think you have to give a lot of credit to ownership as well. And I, I think looking around the league, you can, you can say, oh, <laughs> nobody's even trying right now. What is, what is happening? All right. This is like the new money ball. We'll be the team that actually does try. You got to exploit the, the market by being the team that actually tries to get better. Yeah, the new inefficiency is trying to win games this year. Trying to win games. You add Musgrove. And so you got Darvish, Snell, Musgrove. And, and still, you have to look at it and you go, it could still <laughs> it could still be ugly. You know, you don't know what Lamette might not be able to pitch. You know, guys who, who end the season with arm injuries, you don't really know if, how badly they're hurt till they come and just come to camp and gear it up 100%. Paddock was kind of not very good last year. And then after that, you, you're looking at some younger, unproven guys. And so even now, I, th I think, with, and you look at it, every team around the league is in that same position. And that's why you say, let's just not stop, just keep adding. And, and so I think a big, a big part of what every team is, is doing this offseason, I, I think we're all waiting for the universal DH be announced are, are they yeah. going to have it or not and hopefully that that's going to be announced soon because there's a lot of free agents just kind of waiting around for that but i think the roster limits the pitcher limits is going to make a big deal because right now it's set at 13 pitchers and you got you know the mariners have already said they're going to use a six-man rotation the potters a couple of other teams as well have said yeah maybe we'll use a six-man rotation which doesn't really work out when you have an eight-man bullpen right especially with the way that we think teams are going to use their starting pitchers this year they're not going to push guys too far i'm not sure how you know how much they're going to limit veteran pitchers that have gone 180 200 innings this year we don't know how far they're going to be pushed but i think it's safe to say they're they're going to be careful with these guys but it's going to be hard if you only have 13 uh, man pitching staff yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens with that you know after they didn't enforce the 13 man maximum in 2020 I mean, they also didn't have a 26-man roster, so it, was, it was, wasn't comparing like for like. But I do wonder if the league's going to cave a little bit on the 13-man pitching staff maximum. Just because it doesn't seem like a lot of teams have figured it out yet. And given that there's still a decent amount of fluidity, uncertainty in this season, if they're ever going to say, let's push it off for a year and do one more season where you can use 14 pitchers if you want, I wouldn't be surprised if this were the year. 
I'm almost certain they're going to, you know, even if they stick with a 26-man roster, I'm almost certain they're going to say, okay, there's no pitcher limit. And I think it's going to go back to teams having a three- and four-man bench, just guys who can, you know. I think there's a lot of bench. That's typically how it's worked anyways, where you got guys on the bench you can play anywhere. And if it was the 13-man limit right now, 13-pitcher limit, like how would the Potteries even use this? You know, if, if you look at their roster right now, it's hard to even imagine how they would utilize that. Yeah, it seems like they'd be doing some phantom IL stints and rotating gore up and down or something. It would have to be. And, and they don't have, if you look at their bullpen, there's, I mean, there's some guys that they can option that have options remaining, like Matt Strom and Tim Hill, Emilio Pagano have options. Nobody else has options. So, and those aren't the guys that you would expect to be sent down to the minors. Those are guys yeah. that are solid, you know, they're, they're there to help. They're not short of people who they could call up from the minors. Like I actually think Nabil Krismat is, has a chance to be pretty decent and yeah, they have enough talent that they can call up people for kind of spot relief roles if they need to. Uh, I mean, Adrian Morhone is might actually be part of the six-man rotation at times, but he could also put in some relief work. But yeah, they don't have the easiest easiest structure there, but I think they're just going to relax the rules and it'll be fine. Yeah, and it'll be, if you see what the Blue Jays are doing with their pitching staff right now, you know, they, they signed Tyler Chatwood and they said, well, he's going to be a reliever. And then they add Kirby Yates and, and they already had a bunch of, starting pitcher prospects that you figure like, okay, these guys can, can pitch out of the bullpen. They got Ryan Baruki and, and uh, Julian Merriweather, Thomas Hatch, Anthony Kay, all guys that can multiple inning guys. And so they got, you know, Ross Stripling and who can pitch in the rotation or the bullpen. And now you had Tyler Chatwood and you go, I don't think these guys are planning on using their starters in a traditional, you know, let's try to get six innings out of you roll. Like may, maybe Ryu is, is that guy, but yeah, I think Robbie Ray might be as well with the off season to, kind of uh, get into a starting only role. They used him a bit oddly last year, but that's because he was broken when they got him. But yeah, aside from Ryu and potentially Ray, none of these guys are normal, you know, six inning type starters. Yeah, I think I think a lot of teams are going to go into it as like, hey, we're not expecting any more than four innings. If you give us four innings, that's that's great. And then we're going to go to two different guys in the out of the bullpen who get us to the seventh or eighth inning. Yeah. And so there's going to be a lot of, you know, if you have guys with options, you're going to be shuffling them in and out. So that's going to be interesting. Well, one good thing for the Padres on that is that they have a little bit of margin for error because if their pitchers give up a few more runs than they hoped, well, Austin Nola's batting eighth. Jake Cronenworth's batting seventh. <laughs> like, they've got quite the lineup to make up for any of those errors. I don't remember the last time that I was this excited about a team's like just fun talent in the lineup and fun pitching staff at the same time. My experience as a Padres fan, especially through all the all the bad years, was like, how is it that we have seven guys in this lineup that should be hitting seventh or eighth on this team? <laughs> like even when they would have, you know, they had at one point they had Tony Fernandez, Tony Gwynn, Sheffield and McGriff. It was like, man, you got the best quartet of hitters at the top of your lineup. And then after that, it was like, oh, dang, you know, and all you got to do is get through those first four guys, limit the damage there. And then it's just five easy outs. Yeah. So to have this kind of depth through the, through the lineup, you saw what it did last year, especially the way that guys like Tommy Pham and Cronenworth and Trent Grisham, they would, they would just grind, man. They would just work the count. That's how Eric Hosmer is as well. But when you only have one guy grinding like that, it doesn't really, it, does, it barely makes a dent. You know, it's like Eric Cosmer is grinding out these at-bats. When you don't have four or five guys in the lineup doing it, it doesn't have the effect on the starting pitcher. It's like, but when you have, you have four or five guys in the lineup 
just working the count, fouling off pitches. And, and by the time you get to, to Will Myers, who usually, you know, he, he's swinging away, that pitcher is more likely to throw a meatball to Will Myers and then he hits it out. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to this guy flailing away all the time. I think Will Myers is, uh, he's kind of become a forgotten man just because they have just so much offensive talent in this lineup. And, you know, 2020 was a short season, but he was great in 2020. And there's reason to believe that he could be at least mostly that good next year. I think the projections think he's going to be an above average hitter. And it's one thing when you're hoping that he and Hosmer are your 3-4 guys. I mean, they're kind of the the 6-7 guys almost on this team. It's just, it's a lot easier to be satisfied with what you're getting from these, you know, decent but not great bat guys when you just have so much depth when they're not they're not hitting in front of your no bat catcher and your no bat second baseman and your no bat shortstop you know your second baseman was almost rookie of the year and your shortstop was almost mvp yeah there there's there is a difference between guys like you know will myers is is that guy that and, and i thought this before last last season when they were talking about trading him and at that point it was just like we just need to dump this guy and hopefully somebody will take on half of his salary maybe and my thought was look you're gonna trade him to the red Sox, and he's gonna hit seventh on that team and he's gonna hit 30 home runs and steal 20 bases and and it's he's gonna have this huge year and and there's gonna be no pressure on him hitting at the bottom of that lineup and so you saw him the last couple of years in san diego and it's just right in the middle of the lineup just taking such bad swings and he looks like he's swinging so hard up there and he's just he didn't belong in the middle of that as the main guy in this lineup and so the thing is is that he ends up being that guy in the Padres because yeah. they acquired so many good hitters the Padres just became the Red Sox instead of the Padres there. became them and then yeah I was right that's who he would be if he just took the pressure off him and moved him down to the lineup and so 162 games is different than 60 games. This team is so deep now, and, and I think they're so good, and the confidence level has to be so high. With even guys guys like Myers, is, I don't think it's a problem. I think getting a young team that hasn't won to that next level, which is a big confidence thing, you know, I think I think that makes a huge difference. Yeah. And you'll see it with teams that have been there all the time. One really nice thing, too, with kind of Fam and Myers specifically, and to a lesser extent Hosmer, but not really, is that by signing Kim, you don't really care if one of those guys doesn't pan out because you have one too many bats. Right. You don't know what's going to happen, but the more depth you have, the more coverage you have for some, you know, one of these guys getting gets hurt, especially when you have superstars like Tatis and Machado. You can't really replace those guys. Right. But if, if one of them gets hurt, you want you want to be able to, to fill that spot with with somebody who's at least decent, you know, and, and at least an average above a little bit above average player. And so you, when you guys when you got guys like Cronenworth and Kim, I'm not sure, you know, if he's going to be able to play He's a really good shortstop. I'm sure he could play third if he's going to, you know, if he can play second, maybe some left field. But you got a lot of guys like that. And I, I think that makes it, you know, your plan, you know, your plan A, obviously, is like you're a World Series contender if everything goes right. Okay, let's say a couple things go wrong. We lose one of our best players to injury. How are you going to replace him? Okay, well, we got this. One of the best players from, from South Korea is now on our team. He's obviously unproven, but talented guy who could fill that spot. And ho hopefully they do add the universal DH. And I don't think they will be done because you know, supposedly they're still trying to re-sign Jerks and Profar. At this point, it's like, where does he even fit? But if they add the universal DH, there's, there's plenty of bats for everybody. So I think they're, they're, not, they're not done. Yeah. You can't expect them to be done. The way I kind of think about it is like, if you told me Will Myers will regress to what he was in 2019, I'd say, I don't think that's likely, but it's not impossible. If you told me Tommy Pham will suffer some injuries, which has been a, 
an on and off problem throughout his career. I'd say, yeah, yeah, that's definitely possible. Again, unlikely. If you told me Jake Cronenworth will have a bit of a sophomore slump, I might believe that a little bit. I don't think he'll be bad. But if you told me that at least one of those three things will happen, yeah, I buy that. Like, because players have down years all the time. And if you have three shots at having one bad outcome, it'll probably happen at least once. So just building depth against that just seems really prudent. And like you said, last year, the Padres were a team where you thought if their superstars go really well and the bit pieces work out, they could be a World Series contender. And that kind of happened. And this year, it just seems like they don't need that go well part anymore. It's just like, this team will be a World Series contender. I almost can't imagine a scenario where we look at the Padres in June and we're not like, well, this is one of the most talented teams in the NL. Yeah, and that that's how the Dodgers have been too. It's like, yeah, and you can look at some of the worst teams and you can go, hey, if this happens, 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 and then they, they could be a playoff team. Even though in, in reality, if you look at them on paper, you go, that that's a last place team. They're lucky to win 70 games. Yeah. But if enough goes right, you're above 500 team. But in reality, you're going to, you know, things that go better than expected versus things that go worse than expected. I, I think I think for the most part, those balance out. Yeah, that's that's why the depth part is so so important. And, you know, figuring out, you know, how, how many guys have options that we, we can send out of the minors and call up if needed. This guy's going to be out of options at some point. Let's trade him now. Or we're going to have a 40-man roster crunch and these prospects are going to have to be added but we have too many good prospects that have to be added so let's trade a bunch of them now and i think that all goes into the plan of you know eventually you know getting getting through 162 games with enough talent to make it to the playoffs did you ever think when chris paddock debuted that a year and change later he'd be arguably the seventh best pitcher on the team (laughs) no i think like I've been pay attention as, as close as anybody. I think yeah. every every year before the season, it's like there's things that I'm not thinking about right now. I can go through and I could just like I'll say, oh, this guy's not going to be any good. This guy's not going to be any good. Why why would he not be any good? He's been good for three years. Well, I don't know. There's hundreds yeah. of examples of this guy just not being good anymore. And you got this guy who's just dominated every level in the minors. He came to the majors and it was like this guy this guy's good. He gets it. He doesn't have that breaking ball yet. But usually, you know, your mind goes, oh, but he's a young kid. He's going to get better. His, his breaking ball is going to get better. But then he takes a huge step back and you're like, oh, how is he getting worse? It's always like a reality check every year with these, especially with the young guys, because there's so much hype after they are good for one year. And that's why, you know, somebody like Cronenworth as well, it's like nobody was expecting him to do anything, going to be a bench guy. Yeah. And it wasn't even over the full season. It was just like... He got a chance to play early on because Hosmer had some his stomach issues. It was like, oh, this guy's good. Leave him in the lineup. And he was a star for like a month. And then he, he fell off a little bit. But based on that one month, you get in your head in the offseason like, that's our guy. That's our guy. There's no, we don't need anybody. He's our second baseman for the next six years. And then they sign Kim and you go, huh, what is going on here? Yeah. But I think if you're good, like, you know, that's what I'm thinking. Like Preller is what he has his front office thinking is like, okay, well, let's just not get stuck on the fact that this guy, we think this guy's good. Like it was only, you know, four to five weeks where he was really good. How is that going to carry over for a full season? He's a, he's a young guy. He's, I think a lot of people liked him, but you don't know. And espe- and so especially the point with pitchers, pitchers are so unpredictable. Can they, can they even stay healthy, you know, with all the mechanics involved? And I think when they do pitch through injury as well, which I, I think happens a lot, and that affects everything. And it's like a pitcher who's 
consistently good for years and years and years is so hard to find. That's why those guys are so valuable because you can just, you have that certainty in your roster with certain spots. If you don't, you know, if it's all just like upside, it's like this guy can be good. Yeah. But those, those teams that are just like half of my roster is just, these are just guys with just high, a high level of certainty. These guys are going to be good. They're going to be solid. They're going to be healthy. Yeah. Like I think probably 20 teams in baseball, maybe more would be really happy with Paddock as their number three starter. Even after his kind of step back last year, he looked a little tired. His velo was low at the end of the year. And yeah, people have bad 10 start stretches. And especially when they're two pitch pitchers, they tend to be a little streakier. It's just such a luxury if that guy struggles, just not have it really hit the bottom line to have Musgrove there who might struggle, but probably from a higher floor and to have Blake Snell and you Darvish where you're not really counting on Paddock to be you know, the guy wearing the cowboy hat and chirping at Pete Alonso and <laughs> winning rookie of the year. <laughs> He doesn't need to be that. He can just be a, a competent pitcher, which I think his floor is competent pitcher and his ceiling is much higher. It's just, it's really fun to see teams built this way where they have the rookie superstars and if they're great, it's great, but they just have so much other stuff that they don't need to be. You look at guys like, like Paddock as well, or a lot of young guys who were highly touted prospects and then they have that big first year and they get a lot of hype and then then they just they drop off in the second year and and you're like what the heck happened and then you kind of forget about that or, or even if they did weren't very good their first year they're just like okay that guy kind of held his own he was all right and then you just forget about that guy nobody's talking about him second third year well you know then they just break out and you go oh where did that guy come from oh, he was a top prospect he was, <laughs> he was the guy we were talking about two years he was ago good like, in the majors all right yeah he was you know he, he was okay in the majors at first but remember we everybody thought he was going to be really good and or you know maybe he gets hurt guys get hurt they miss a lot of time and they just drop off the radar especially with pitchers with the tommy john surgery there's always guys coming back and you go oh i forgot that guy he, he was he was one of our better pitchers two years ago and then man that tommy john surgery is just I mean, that's what happened to Lamette, right? Yeah, he's already had his Tommy John surgery, so he might have another one. he also just, he was okay in 2017 and 2018. He was like a nice pitcher. He was, it looked like he was starting to hit his stride in 2019 when he came back from his TJ. I think he missed all of 2018. And then last year, he just like put it together a little bit more. So, so you think about somebody like Denelson Lamette, and when he came up a couple of years ago, he wasn't a big time prospect, but he was a guy that we knew threw hard, and and then he he, he looked pretty good. A guy throwing high nineties with a really good slider, and I think at least Padres fans who were watching him were pretty excited about this guy coming into a full season, you know, and like this guy's going to get better. And then of course Tommy John surgery hits, and okay, well we'll see we'll see you in two years. And then he's back. He's he's even more more dominant than we remember, and he's emerging into this front of the rotation starter. And you know, then he gets hurt again. So it's frustrating for all baseball fans because it happens to every team. But this is just why you keep you're going to continue here, and you can never have enough pitching. You add Darvish, you add Snell, you add Musgrove. Getting Clevenger back next year just it just never <laughs> never ends. And if you look at the the free agent market right now, still a lot of good pitchers out there. I, I imagine there's going to be a lot of minor league deals, and teams are going to be able to stock up with those guys as depth. Yeah, it seems like these Padres might be trying to test the axiom that you can never have too much pitching because if you can, they do. And I think that's going to be really fun to watch this year. So we will definitely keep our eyes on the Padres as the season goes on because, like, let's be real, they're most fun thing going in baseball right now. But for now, we just wanted to tune in and just talk about how much we're enjoying baseball in the offseason just by one team going for it so much. Thanks, AJ Preller. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, AJ, for all the content and all the good times. Hey, baseball fans, this is David Lorla. My guest on this segment is Chris Perez, former Cleveland Indians closer. Chris, how are you doing this afternoon? Doing good. Excited to come on this podcast and relive some old memories. Yeah, for sure. You know, we haven't spoken face to face for a good many years. Always enjoyed talking to you in, in clubhouses. And uh, you, Chris, I think maybe are more known for your off the field uh, <laughs> you know, statements than for what you did on the mound. But uh, you actually had some really good seasons. You know, mostly with the Indians, your fourth all-time in franchise history in saves, which I think a lot of people don't know. And you were an all-star twice, I believe. Uh, yeah, two times, 2011 and 2012. Yeah, so you look when you look back at your career, you maybe wish some things would have gone differently, but you should be pretty pleased as well. Yeah, uh, like you said, I think most people may remember me, especially fans of Cleveland may remember me for stuff that I might have said in the media or stuff I used to, you know, do on my social media or things like that. But um, looking back, uh, yeah, I had I had a pretty good run with, with the Tribe. Uh, getting traded over from St. Louis gave me a chance to really establish myself as a major leaguer, and uh, definitely my best years were with Cleveland. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Chris, about that trade. You were drafted by the Cardinals and pitched, I think, for maybe a year and a half before you got traded to the Indians. Was that a pretty big surprise? It honestly was, uh, you know, me being naive, uh, you know, I got drafted by the Cardinals and, and, you know, working my way up through their system, I was I moved pretty fast and I was always uh, an all-star or, or, you know, one of the best relievers in, in whatever league I was in. So, I, you know, I just figured I would just, they wouldn't want to get rid of a young guy like that. But then, you know, I got introduced to the business really fast. Uh, it kind of, you know, sent me back a little bit mentally, just, uh, you know, why would this team give up on me or... Why would they want to get rid of me at such a young age? But then I looked, looked. My agent helped me look at it from the other point of view, saying, "Now, now you have a, you're at a perfect place in Cleveland that you can work your way up to become the closer, which was my ultimate goal." And um, looking back, it, it definitely um, it helped my personal career. Maybe not, you know, being on a better team in St. Louis might have been more fun professionally, but but for me personally, it definitely was a great move, and I went on to to do some fun things in Cleveland. And refuting the idea that some fans may have that you didn't take the, the game seriously enough. I looked back at an interview I did with Mickey Calloway in 2013, and he told me that you were probably the best student of the game in, in the Cleveland bullpen. Huh. That's, a, that's a nice compliment. <laughs> I mean, uh, I wasn't one of those closers that, not, to, not anything against him, he's the best, but like, you, know, you always heard the stories of Mariano staying inside the locker room and getting rubbed down and, and maybe watching video and then coming out to the bullpen in this, maybe the seventh inning. Uh, I never did that. I always was out there. I wanted to be out there for you know, opening pitch. I wanted to, to be out there and watch the other team's hitters live, uh, just see how they were doing that day. Um, you, know, you can watch the video and, and see their mechanics and stuff, but uh, you know, every day is a different battle, and I like to get a first-hand look. And, it just helped me get into the flow of the game. And, uh, you know, I could watch to see how the game was going. And around the fifth inning, if it was getting to be a close game, I would start getting ready mentally and, and getting ready to have to come in in the ninth. So it was just my routine. And, and I like to be out there with the guys and see what was going on and, and uh, you know, get cheering on my teammates and watching, <laughs> watching a Major League Baseball game. And maybe only a year or two after Mickey made that comment to me, you know, paid you that compliment, you were in your last big league season with the Dodgers, and the following year you were in the Milwaukee organization, but actually only in the minor leagues. 
and you ended up getting suspended twice. Yes. What happened? Um, I was basically just over it. Uh, I thought I was going to make the Milwaukee team out of spring training, so I didn't really worry about the drug test. I thought I'd be put back on the 40-man. So when that didn't happen, they chose to go on a different route in their bullpen. Then I was you know, relegated back to AAA and, and subject to their drug testing policies. And just where I was mentally and professionally, I just didn't care. And you know, I was I wasn't enjoying baseball anymore. It was more of a uh, a burden on me. Like I, I I didn't like going to the field anymore. Uh, I didn't want to do anything extra. I, I wasn't that good student like I was in the big leagues. So um, it all just came together, and, and I decided I had enough, and, and went into the office one day to the manager, AAA manager's office one day, and said, "I'm done. I'm just going to go home." And uh, that was it. <laughs> and that was, I believe, after the first suspension. Well, that, yes, exactly. That was after the first suspension. Then when I got home, they kept testing me because it was the same season. So I was still subject to getting tested. And I just, you know, I was living my life at home. I didn't care. So I just kept failing. Right. And we're not talking PEDs, of course. No. no nor hard drugs. No, just, just marijuana. I mean, it's no secret in my career that I, I use it all throughout my playing days. It helped me uh, get over bad games for sure. I think it, it's, it's a nice therapeutic and, and it's a nice way to relax your body and, and get a good night's sleep. Uh, with some of those crazy travel schedules you have in the big leagues. But um, no, never performance enhancing drugs. Uh, it, it may sound, you know, maybe may boasting a little bit. I, I never thought I needed performance enhancing drugs. And for people listening who aren't aware, MLB's old drug policy differed from the minor league drug policy is if you were on the 40 man, relatively speaking, you you were safe from, from being sanctioned. Yeah, the way I was explained when I was a young player was as long as there's no suspicion from the team, like, you know, as long as you're not doing it out in public or, you know, making the whole hotel smell, they have no reason to test you. Uh, so, you know, in 2013, when all that stuff went down with me, uh, obviously uh, getting arrested and having stuff sent through the mail is a, a good reason for them to start testing you. So all through the rest of 2013 and 2014, I took a drug test probably once a week. And that was for marijuana. And I couldn't, I passed every single one of those when I was in the big leagues. Wow. Uh, I, I don't know if I should be surprised or not. <laughs> maybe it was, <laughs> maybe it was Suterfuge. Yeah, right. Yeah. Chris, approximately, you were on a few different teams and you played for several years. What percentage of your teammates would you say would occasionally partake in smoking, you know, funny cigarettes as they were once called? <laughs> I would say at least half. That number obviously grew the later on in my career. When I first came into the league, the team with the Cardinals, especially we were, it was an older team, a lot of veterans. They were more uh, with the alcohol side of baseball. Whereas uh, when I got to Cleveland in 2010, 2011, all the way through 13, the team started to get a little younger. And yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely a, a good way for us to release ourselves after a game and not, all, and then also have enough time to recover for the next day, you know, the next day's game, you know, back in the seventies and eighties and nineties and uh, a lot of alcohol use in, in baseball for the same kind of reason, just to, to get your mind off of stuff or to make your body feel better after a long stretch or whatever. But the recovery time's way better with marijuana. So I think that's why it was, it's a popular choice for, for a lot of athletes, not just baseball players. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about one of the more famous Chris Perez stories, which is you getting in trouble for mailing uh, marijuana <laughs> to your dog. Yeah. Um, is that an accurate story? No, that's my story. Yeah, I referenced that a little earlier. So 2013, you know, I'm already a, a established major leaguer, you know, closer. I, you know, my, my place on the team is pretty set. I'm not worried about, you know, not making the team out of spring training or things like that. 
So uh, I have been getting stuff sent to me through the mail for about a year and, uh, you know, all different places too. my house in Florida, uh, spring, my spring training house in, in Arizona uh, all, and even in Cleveland for the first couple of months of the season. But then uh, I think it was around May or June. It was not the, a normal delivery that day. And me and my ex-wife uh, came home at the time and uh, we walked into our house full of, uh, you know, agents with, uh, you know, weapons drawn and, and just you know, going through our house, uh, executing a search warrant. And uh, yeah, I got myself some uh, male drugs to my dog. <laughs> not not my uh, proudest moment as a, as a person or as a major leaguer, but it, it ended up being, the offense actually ended up being lower than a DUI. So it was definitely a lot more uh, hoopla and, and stuff for the media to, to run with than the actual crime that I did. But it's definitely a learning experience and, and uh, man, I learned a lot about media and fans and, and media coverage and all that during that time, for sure. And your dog was probably a little chagrined because <laughs> the dog probably didn't even smoke. <laughs> he would now. He's still alive. He's, he's 16 years old and, and he's kind of blind. So I think he definitely would use it now. <laughs> yeah. Medical marijuana for dogs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, I mean, looking back, it, it, it's just unbelievable. Uh, I think part of the reason it might not have been like such a bigger national story was it was right around the same time the whole Aaron Hernandez thing was coming out. And, um, you know, all of the national media was all over that. So I think that saved me a little more embarrassment. For sure. You mentioned uh, your relationship with fans. You got in hot water back in, I don't know if it was 2012 or 2013, for criticizing Indians fans, not the ones who showed up at the ballparks, but rather the ones who didn't show up. Yeah, that's probably my most defining moment in Cleveland. I think it was 2013, around maybe May or mid-May or uh, maybe just a couple of weeks before June, something like that. But yeah, um, you know, I just, I, that whole episode, it, it was, it was me personally saying it. It was, I was speaking from my heart and, and, but it was also a lot of different things I had heard from ex players and, and players that were my teammates about just the, the unique situation that playing in Cleveland is, you know, I think, I think the game that I said it, there was like maybe 5,000 fans in the stands and, you know, we, Looking at it from my perspective, I was, you know, I, I've worked almost my whole life to get to the major leagues and to have a successful career and, and play in front of, you know, sold out stadiums and, and, and have that kind of adrenaline and, and that kind of support and to not even have the same kind of drawing that minor league teams get. And then to also have them, you know, be so negative and boo you. And it's just, it just kind of blew my mind and I had had enough and I didn't, you know, tell anybody I was going to do it or I didn't talk to my agent or it wasn't pre-planned. It was just, I was just speaking from my heart and it kind of just uh, kept growing on itself. And Progressive Field is actually a very good ballpark. To me, yeah. it's, one, it's one of the more underrated ballparks in, in all of baseball. It's beautiful and the playing surface is great. And a summer night there, it, the, the weather is perfect and, and the sky, you know, they have nice sunsets and uh, off the lake and it's a great ballpark. And, you know, I remember as a kid how, how, during that whole run when the Indians, you know, were competing for for the playoffs in the World Series every year, I remember how that place was rocking and and how how much of an advantage it really is. And you know, I just didn't understand the negativity. Like, I understand that you know the economy was bad and and people couldn't go you know afford to go to a ball game anymore or whatever. But I just didn't understand the negativity around like we're your hometown team. Like you should support us and and try to root us on, even if you know the last five, ten, whatever years we haven't been good, but. You know, that's, that's why that's why sports are so good, because every year is a new season and every season brings a new chance to 
to prove people wrong and, and to, to play good baseball and make the playoffs. So I just never understood how they were just so negative all the time. And that hometown team for, for people in Cleveland will no longer be the Indians a- after this year. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, uh, they're definitely uh, getting out in front of the, well, I guess they're not getting out front, but they're definitely reacting to this wave of, of inclusion and Indian racism and stuff like that. But <laughs> I just, I'm more interested to know what the name's going to be, what they, what they end up choosing because uh, the Washington football team is, it just doesn't have the same, you know, ring and the Cleveland baseball team just, it's, you know, it doesn't go with sports. Sports need a mascot and a team. And I'm just interested to see what kind of team they can come up with. It's 2021. There's a lot, you know, it's 300 something colleges plus all the professional sports. There's a lot of mascots already taken. So, well, I know that a lot of people like the idea of the Spiders, which is a throwback to Cleveland's team around the turn of the, of the century. But unless I'm mistaken, the 1899 Cleveland Spiders had the worst record in, <laughs> in baseball history. So that might be a bad omen. Yeah, they might want to stay away from that kind of aura. I think on Twitter, uh, when I heard, first heard of the news, I think I put that they would uh, would be the the Cleveland Serranos and their mascot could be Jobu. But I think Jobu is too much of a semblance to their old mascot of Chief Wahoo. So I don't think that's going to go. And I do not think that they could name the team the uh, Francisco Lindors now either, <laughs> as, as iconic no. as, as he was becoming. Yeah, I don't. That's that's like a, that's an open wound there still. <laughs> I would think so. <laughs> I don't really want to go off on a tangent about teams trading their best players. I live in Boston, and we saw that happen, of course, with Mookie Betts. Right. So you just mentioned Twitter, Chris. You know, As you know, sharing opinions openly can often be dangerous, especially on Twitter. Am I correct in that you were fined for a tweet way back in 2012? Yeah, I think I was the first. I don't think I was the first athlete, but I think I definitely was the first MLB player to be fined for social media. And it all goes back, uh, I think it was 2012. And, and, you know, some maybe not the Yankees or the Red Sox, but like some smaller market teams like the down here where I'm from, the Tampa, the Rays or, or Kansas City, like the Royals, they have like different slogans for their season, different kind of like messages that they want to send the fans. Like I remember growing up, the, the Rays had one called the Hit Show and they had, you know, Jose Canseco and and Greg Vaughn and all these, Fred McGriff, all these home run hitters. Well, Kansas City's slogan in 2012 was, it's our time. Because they had all these young studs, you know, like Moustakis and Hosmer and Salvador Perez and Alcides Escobar, all these guys. And, and they thought it was their time to, to compete for the title or the, the division and get to the playoffs. So whatever, long story short, it was either opening week or, or not opening day, but it was it was the first week of the season and we're in Kansas City. And, you know, I, I think we have a pretty good team. It's 2012. We got some young stud pitchers. We got some good hitters. And uh, obviously our bullpen was, was really good. So I thought, you know, we had a good chance. And one of the games gets really out of hand early on. They get up way ahead, like eight to one or something. And we end up coming back and there's like a couple of guys get hit. And uh, I don't think we cleared benches, but there's definitely a, a little more drama than should have been in the first week of a season. And uh, after the game, we ended up winning, I think, like 14 to 13 or something, some crazy high game. After the game, I tweeted, Kansas City, uh, it's not our time, it's tribe time. You know, if you hit our guys, we'll hit you back. And uh, I think MLB took that as me threatening that, you know, the next time I get out there, I was going to hit somebody. So they ended up finding me. Yeah. Did you ever throw at anybody? I can honestly say I never, never threw at anybody in my whole career. I got, I got kind of, you know, protected being the closer. Not many closers are told to go hit somebody and start a rally, you know, in a close game. You know, I, I did have my fair share of hit by pitches, but none of them were on purpose. 
Yeah, circling back, Chris, because uh, we just have a few more minutes. When you did have the, uh, you know, the threatening to supposedly threatening to hit people with pitches, was Manny Acta your manager then, or was it Terry Francona? It was it was Manny Acta. It was his last season. Do you ever wonder if you caused either Manny or, or Tito any gray hairs, or maybe to lose <laughs> hairs during your career? Well, it's hard to it's hard for Tito to get any gray hairs when he's bald all the time, but you know. I probably did definitely for at least, for both of them probably. I mean, uh, you know, managers and guys that run you know major league teams like that and NFL NFL coaches and head head coaches in college running programs and stuff. That's they they always want to eliminate distractions. You know, they want to they want to. There's enough that goes on during the season with injuries and and people not performing well. You know, losing streaks, etc. That most of those guys always want to eliminate distractions. Anything that can take their players' focus away from the team. But, uh, you know, the way I always looked at it is that it may have caused them some gray hairs, but it never really affected my play on the field. I was still I still took my job seriously. I still got prepared. I still, uh, you know, as we said earlier, I still was one of the best students out there. So I think as long as my performance wasn't affected, then they could sleep a little easier. That's that's well said. I think that the game of baseball has always it's been a better game when there have been characters if you don't mind me alluding to the fact that maybe you were a bit of a character <laughs> it, it's sort of the let the kids play let you know let the fernando tatis's bat flip and right. maybe maybe let a bill lee back in the 70s or uh, or a doc ellis do some crazy right. things and that's what chris perez did at times you know I've, my mom always says i'm ahead of my time and, and looking like he said now with uh, you know fernando tatis jr's doing his bat flips and i mean you can name you could just go down the list on guys that are, are pimping home runs or or making um you know making gestures out on the mound after big strikeouts and yes i was a character but I, it wasn't a show you know it, it was my true emotions out there uh there's nothing like coming into a major league game you know a two-run lead facing the three four five hitters in a you know a, a close game and and having that adrenaline and having the, you know, maybe the winning run on third base and you making the pitches and executing pitches to get, you know, some of the best hitters in the, in the world out. Like there's just, so, it was just a release of emotion and, and like a, a, a breath of uh, like a relief that, you know, I didn't blow this game. I didn't let down the teammates. Uh, you know, we got to win tonight. That's all it was. It wasn't trying to show up to opponents or, or, or the game of baseball. It was just uh, you know, it was just my emotions coming out. Fantastic. That was Chris Perez. At once upon a time, a great character in the game, once upon a time, a student of the game. I am David Lorela, and thank you for listening to Fangrass Audio. This has been Fangrass Audio. We hope you enjoyed listening to the program as much as we enjoyed making it. If you'd like to let us know how we did, consider a rating or review on iTunes. It helps us out. We will be back with another show next week. Have a good weekend.